Hi everyone and welcome back to Teaching for Dummies, the podcast where we share insights into the teaching profession and have a few laughs along the way. Hopefully you caught our episode 5 part 1, celebrating Mother's Day and investigating the scandalous saga that was the Ultranet. Kate, Julie and I did what all good teachers do, we talked way too much. So I split episode 5 into two parts. This is part 2, now you're up to date, enjoy. Alright, we have a funny story from Kate Kilkenny. Yeah, it's uh, and it's not like ha-ha funny, but it's like uh, eye-rolling kind of funny. Honest funny. Um, <laughs> this happened a couple, uh, couple of years ago, last year, yeah. earlier last year. I had a beautiful uh, Labrador dog that had had for many years, many stories to tell with this girl. I got a phone call from mum and dad that um, we had to put her down. So the next day, had the day off and went to the vet and um, had to have her put down and all mm. that. And it was a very sad moment. Um, she was 14 at the time. Anyway, went back to school the next day and was feeling, yeah, quite sad still, you know, in the grieving process of it all. And what I do with my students is when they're lining up outside and the families are around, I say good morning to everybody and give them all a high five. And a lot of the, it's a bit of a question and answer time for the parents and students. Anyway, all of the kids were asking, why were you away yesterday, Miss Kilkenny? Are you okay? So I had to explain, you know, I wanted to be honest. I said, well, you know my dog Quinta? And the kids nodded and went, yeah. And I said, well, she's very old um, and I had to take the day off uh, because, and I was trying to figure out the right way to say, you know, she's <laughs> gone and, you know, there was some... We have a various groups of religions in my class, so trying to not say she's gone to God or, you know, anything like that. <laughs> and just from the back of the class, one of the smaller students just goes, is it dead? <laughs> <laughs> and I just took so Nothing like the reality of, of children. <laughs> yeah, and I just went, yep, yep. In we go. <laughs> like, you can't top that. It's It reminds me of the, um, you know, like my next door neighbour has two rabbits and you're like, how can I compete with that? Moment. Yes, she is. All right, come on, let's go. <laughs> the kids say the darndest things. I know, right? <laughs> One thing, they always keep it real. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So that's my ha sad, ha-ha, funny moment. So, <laughs> so as our listeners out there would be aware, prior to COVID-19 restrictions, when we were at school, the government introduced mobile phone bans in Victorian government schools. And Julie's had a lot of experience with it this year. Kate and I, from earlier years of the school, we don't have the mobile phone issues um, that older kids and their teachers have. So, um, Julie, I'd like to sort of find out today, you know, what are your thoughts? How has it been implemented? Has it been good? What's the outcome? 
Well, initially I thought it would be a disaster. And there's a few things about it that I thought would really challenge us and also affect our learning. I know that in my grade five, six class last year, any kids that had phones and devices, but but often it would be phones in their pocket, we would use them as an educational device if they needed to use a dictionary, say, and we had we did have hard copy dictionaries in the class. We had a, a set of dictionaries, but we also often would compare a dictionary definition to an online dictionary definition, for example. So the kids would pull out their phone and look up the word. They'd use Google, they'd use the voice recording functions, cameras, that sort of thing in their learning. So we were beginning to see that students with phones could be useful. And at grade five, six, we were not really having any issues with them being used inappropriately. Now, I think that's probably because they're still at that age where they are still trying to mainly do the right thing. Mm. So we didn't have any behavioural issues really based around phones in schools. I think as it went up into the higher levels, that's where the the behavioural issues there came about. So when this ban came in, my initial reaction was, oh, how ridiculous. This is just going to hamper our learning you know we've only got a certain number of digital resources in the school and if we can't use the resources that the kids have themselves then it's going to cut back our digital technologies now while that is true that has happened um i have been um surprised by the way that the students have taken up the ban and i have not seen i've had one phone in um, and in a, in a situation that I removed from a student for the day, um, for the whole year so far, and I know we're not at school at the moment, so that's really only in one term. But the students have taken it up well, and it seems to have been working. I know the feedback from um, teachers in higher levels has been very similar that they have taken it up quite well, surprisingly. As far as learning in the classroom goes, sure, it's it's cut back some of our ability to pull out our phone and, and quickly do something, but we have also seen a little bit of an increase in technology around the school access to it, so that's been handy to compensate. Mm. So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, mm. and I imagine also that it would be really difficult for a lot of teachers to stay on top of you know, administering that rule and sticking to it? Yeah, I think, um, well, that's one of the things is it surprised us how well the students actually stuck to it. I think because it came out as a it's not our school rule, Mm. this is the Mm. government dictating this, then the kids took it a little more seriously. They knew that we as teachers didn't have the option. Like it it wasn't something they could argue with and say, but why? Mm. Because our answer would be, it wasn't our choice. It was something that was decided across the state. Mm. Um, So they felt perhaps that it was more official and that they'd that's why they stuck to it a bit better. Mm. And I think that we were in that, us as teachers were in that as well, you know. We were the ones that had to enforce that rule. But I think a lot of us teachers have also... um, made a conscious effort to not have our phones out during class time as well. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. kind of 
we've been following those rules also. Yeah, look, I, I think know I personally um, have. Mm. There's, um, how, there was a bit of a tendency for some teachers to be using their phones perhaps not the right way in class. Um, I know that I do use mine to set a timer or I do use mine for different things in the class. Oftentimes uh, at my school it's to mark the roll in the mornings mm. because we, we do have to mark the roll every single class. So yep. um, not... Uh, you know, having the phone there to quickly mark the roll is, is much more convenient. So there has been some of that change. Yeah, so um, we'll be interested to hear from other schools um, how the enforcement of that ban is going. Um, certainly um, get in touch with us here at um, Teaching for Dummies. We'd love to hear your, your feedback about that subject. Um, yeah. All right. I think it'll also oh. be interesting once we go back to school from this remote learning time to see if anything changes in the kids' use of their phones or attitude to having them or if they just go back like we were before. Yeah, definitely. It's such an unknown quantity at the moment what's going to happen. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to move on now to my one of my favourite parts of Teaching for Dummies, the app of the week. Eek, eek. So Kate Kilkenny's got her app of the week ready for us today. I've asked her to go. Most of our apps have been, they've all been pretty much like uh, teacher-centered, you know, apps Mm. that teachers can use in the classroom for the teaching. This one today is more aimed at something that the kids can use to develop their learning. Tell us about the app Teach Your Monster to Read. Yeah, it's aimed towards um, an earlier year uh, age bracket and most of the time it is a quite an expensive app to um, download as well. However, at random times, they do have it for free. So if you can follow some groups or just keep checking in regularly when you download it for free, it's amazing. So it's an app. Um, obviously teaches your monster slash child slash student to read. Now it starts off with the good old uh, sat pin letters and blends um, and makes it's all very game orientated. Um, The good thing about it, I've got it on my phone and iPad and I've got a little uh, monster for each of my nieces and I've got them for a couple of my lower students at school as well. During reading time, they're able to have a go on that too. So you can create your own monster, do a little virtual avatar of your monster um, and go through all the different levels and it increases, yeah. Um, And it's good, um, I think it's an English accent. Yeah, really, really easy to use um, and good fun. Mm. Yeah. And I see that it's won a whole bunch of awards. And it's been yeah. featured in the Sunday Times, the Guardian, and a, some teaching sites. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks very like the, the the way that it's set up is very, like, very colourful, very punchy colours, um, very cartoony. I think that that would really appeal to kids. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, one for the littlies. Um, it says it's aged, or most of them from four years old. So that. Uh, pre-kinder, kinder age as well. Mm. Um, it's a good start to it all. Um, and also I think not just 
the letter A, but it's they go through the sounds of the letters as well. Mm. If you had to rate the engagement level of this app for kids uh, with reading, how many how many books out of five would you give it? Ooh, uh, five out of five. Five books out of five. <laughs> wow. Or I could say how many monsters. How many monsters out yeah, of ten? Five monsters out of five. Oh, oh. five! Five out of five. Okay. It's up there with reading eggs. And, <laughs> um, yeah, it's the good go-to. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yep. Fantastic. Definitely. And I see that they've also got they've not been not just settled for the app itself. They've actually got a whole line of merchandise, so you can go in. You can buy the t-shirts with the different monsters on them. There are tote bags. There's water bottles. These guys have just gone crazy. <laughs> you yeah, can, good you, on them, mate. You can buy a, <laughs> Julie, you can buy oh, a mug. <laughs> Yay, a mug. The mug. Woo. You can buy, I'm going to buy you a mug for Christmas. <laughs> you can buy a bum bag. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh, bum bag, just what I've always wanted. Uh, that's great. Fantastic. So yeah. that's, um, that's, that's it. That's my app of the week. Yeah, that's at teachyourmonstertoread.com. Easy to get to, easy to find. And that is our app of the week. Eek, eek, eek. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kate, you suggested this topic, I think. And it's what makes great teachers great. Oh, tough call. (laughs) (laughs) What makes great teachers great? What are some of the things that come to mind, Julie? Um, I think... Uh, my philosophy really is it's all the the child first. A happy child in a safe environment is the number one priority. Everything else can follow from there. Mm. Um, that's what I try to aspire to in my day-to-day is um, being all about the kids in the setting that we're in and whatever comes from that academically is what's going to come. Mm. Yeah, I would um, agree. Having been around for a while, I think I've generally always stuck by that. Yeah. What do you think, Kate? I would agree with that. Um, there's, you know, is was it Maslow's hierarchy of needs <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> yeah, on a yeah. philosophical? <laughs> philosophical? Uh, yeah, that one. Um, way. And like Julie said, my philosophy goes on um, a bit similar to hers and it's that being becoming and belonging uh, Mm. based on the early childhood framework. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, Individual results may vary in that sense as well. Of course, yeah. Yeah, what you put into it is what you get out of it really. Mm. If if you see it as a job and it's something that you go to and you want to walk away from it at the end of the day as soon as 3.30 hits... Um, well, fine, but that's all you're going to get out of it. I mm. think those of us that do tend to um, stretch the boundaries a little bit here and there, and I'm not saying go, sorry, from a union perspective. I know me, my or, AU alarm is going off. I know, I could <laughs> see. <laughs> here she goes, here she goes. I'm not saying be ridiculous or anything, as we constantly hear Julie tell us. Put, turn your computer off. You shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> but there are a little bit of moments where you stretch the boundaries a bit, would you say, you know? And- yeah. Of course there are, yeah. And I, I you know, as, as much as I, am you know, follow the guidelines of 30 plus 8 and work hours and the amount that you're putting in, I also 100% believe in 
it's not just a job. It's a it's a vocation. It's a calling. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> oh, oh dear lord, a for, calling. For some, for some, the calling is loud. For others, not so. Don't fall across, <laughs> just fall off the wall. <laughs> 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 was that thunder I heard? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I what think. What do you say, Brett? Yeah. Look, you know, because I think back to, you know, as a teacher, I model myself on the good teachers I've had in the past, and I was actually really lucky, really extremely lucky, and probably pretty rare to spend the first five years of my teaching career teaching alongside teachers who had actually taught me as a kid. Wow. Yeah, mic drop, boom. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's that thunder again. And, <laughs> oh, that's right, small country town. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, one thing that they all have in common, I mean, there was there was definitely some teachers that, you you know, you'd like a bit, of, a bit more of something from them than you got, um, whether it's a bit more friendliness or a bit more um, attention or something like that, like, you know, your experience with your teachers as a child, like it's not just about those teachers, it's about you yourself. So how I relate to those teachers is different to the person next to me, you know. But the one thing those good teachers all have in common is they were all they all had a, a level of compassion and they sought to, to understand the kids and really try and, you know, get at their level and make sure that they made learning like the funnest, best thing going around. Yeah. Funnest, nice word there. Yeah, yeah, it's a new uh-huh. word, <laughs> funnest. You'll need your phone for that one, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, just let me look it up. <laughs> you know, but you're, you're always having a laugh. You always enjoyed it. But also I think, you know, too, that they also they also know when to draw the line. Like there's times when you have to be a bit serious and it can't be all fun yeah. and games. And, you know, you learnt that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. that's sort of where I come from. On that, but Kate sent me through a couple of uh, mm. something from um, Instagram, Edutopia, yeah. and they said that the the top things are passion, patience, high standards, uh, belief that the student is transforming and they are a part of that, and love. Oh, oh yeah. isn't that sweet? <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. It's, I think yeah. we often don't talk about love with teaching because I think it's such a, what's the Awkward. word? Yeah, kind of. It's, um, it's so subjective. That's the word I'm looking for. Love and, and the giving of love or the receiving of love and that whole thing, the injection of love into teaching is kind of pretty subjective. Yeah, I had this discussion with somebody and I can't remember who just recently um, about telling your class that you love them. Um, and I said, yeah, I do. Once I've, I've formed that bond with them later on throughout the year, it is something that I'll say to them that I love you all and I care for you very much and, and that sort of thing. Um, if I mean it, if I genuinely mean it, there's been years where I've, I've struggled with classes and, and found them, you know, extremely challenging mm. and may not have said that. But um, often I will form that stronger bond with the kids and, you know, shed a tear at the end of the year, especially in grade six, mm. moving on to, to high school. Yeah, because because they are so important to us. Mm. Every year there's preps that say, you know, I love you, Mr. Harvey. And, you know, 
how you choose to respond to that's like really kind of critical um, because it can, you know, it can enhance the relationship with that child or it can taint it. And um, my response is usually to reflect back what they've said, you know, Um, and, you know, I do tell them that I love them, but it's, you know, I think that to be able to say that to a child, but not feel some bird, some sort of little bit of burden of, of that, that it does come with divulging that kind of, you know, uh, relationship, that level of relationship, you know, that can be, that can be really uh, difficult for people and teachers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a fear of, of what saying that means or what, yeah. um, you know, people read into that kind of, that kind of statement. Yeah. And showing favoritism and all the rest of it as well. I mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think um, a reflection of that was earlier this year. I had a, I, I actually bumped into a student just near where I live, who I had taught in about two thousand and five, two thousand and six, in another the opposite side of the city, mm. and I had him grade two and grade three. And he happened to be on this side of the city doing some work. And I sort of pulled up and he recognised my face, I recognised his face. And he, he came over to the window of the car and stuck his head in the window, gave me a big um, hug and kiss on the cheek. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, he's now 22 years old and I was just blown away by <laughs> that kind of reaction. It was it was a, a beautiful moment and, mm. you know, we had a, a wonderful chat and, um, a wonderful catch up and, you know, talking about where we were at these days and what we were doing and um, I was still teaching <laughs> and, um, you know, he's now a, a, a builder and, and those sorts of things. So, mm. yeah, so I know that, you know, that that I remember that, cl- that class those two years very fondly and very clearly. I could nearly name every single child that I had that year mm. and and that's just what comes about from that connection to your students um, and yeah many 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 years later 15 or so years later here, here we are bumping into each other and still recognizing each other and still having that um, fond connection yeah and it also was a little bit of a moment of oh bless his cotton socks kind of thing you know isn't that lovely definitely so, Kate, did you want to say anything else about what makes a great teacher great? Um, no, I agree a lot with um, what you guys are saying, I think, and it's uh, making those connections. I think and um, with those connections with the kids that it can change throughout the year. Every year you get a new group of kids and, mm. you know, you grow so accustomed to the kids that you had the year before and, you know, you take on those thoughts of what you have heard about those kids before or the mm. brief, you know, introduction to those kids during transition times and all of that. I know a lot of opinions about my students this year has already changed within the first week of having them. And, you know, yet again, it's changed again because mm. we're remote learning. So it's just that forever kind of a fluid concept, I think, too. Mm. Mm. I think... Um, I just was thinking back onto what you were saying earlier, Brett, about your experience with your previous teachers. I would have to say that my experience was almost the opposite 
However, I went into teaching in an unconscious mode, not because I was, you know, at uni and that made me unconscious, but more because, <laughs> I, more because I stumbled into it after high school and then now that I've been teaching quite some time, I look back and go, I didn't have the most positive primary school experience. Mm. So perhaps that's why now I look back and go, well, I think that's why I became a teacher is to see in those students that might not necessarily be given that that chance or maybe overlooked or maybe labelled as a difficult child mm. um, and see the good in everyone. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I think there's certainly there's certainly something about, you know, the, the human psychology where, you know, if we ever become in a position to help other people like we do in teaching – we tried to give them what we didn't have, you know, even even parents of, of kids try to give them what they didn't have as a kid. You know, the other thing, too, is how hard is it, you know, to create relationships with 20 something kids, you know, as quickly as we do, you know, where else in the world would you all of a sudden have to create relationships with 20 plus people on the daily? And I think it's an amazing job that we do. Like you said, yeah. Julie, every year, send you know, send yeah. that other that grade off, and all of a sudden, boom, you've got a new group, and mm-hmm. you've got, you got to do it all again. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. It's a it's a big thing, and then teaching is definitely something for the emotionally uh, strong, perhaps, because it does take a lot out of you emotionally. Mm. That you know, in that situation, saying goodbye to one lot and moving on to another lot and beginning again. You're constantly beginning new relationships and you're constantly evolving your relationships as well Mm. because things change, Mm. circumstances change. Children go through all sorts of experiences in their personal life and you're dealing with that day-to-day as well. Um, And often, you know, it's hard as a teacher not to take on some of that that stress that the children are finding or living through as well. Mm. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. Could be why my my grey regrowth is, uh, you know, quite strong these days. All right. Well, how about we go on to something a bit lighter? Julie's got a funny story for us today. Well, it kind of follows on a little bit from Kate's story about her poor dead pet. Um, but this one's um, not quite as well. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was going to say not quite as horrific as, as you know, the death of a family dog or, or that sort of thing. Um, I've always been a big believer of pets in the classroom. Um, <laughs> couldn't keep going with that in my mouth. <laughs> um, that's what she said. Oh. oh. Of course you let that out. Um, (laughs) Always been a big believer of pets in the classroom. And so for several years I had a pet Yabby. His name was Harry, named after my friend who actually was yabbying um, in some dams on, on his property and I decided I wanted to take one of these teeny, tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny little yabbies and keep it as a pet. So Harry the Yabby 
was came about. Now, Harry the Yabby was about six years, six or seven years old, and he'd lived happily on carrot and celery, the occasional bean, peas, discovered that he didn't like Brussels sprouts and neither did the water quality because... Uh, Got a bit stinky from time to time. <laughs> um, it would co- uh, cover the smell of the kids in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, I was in a pet store. Actually, I think it was Kate, you oh, found I... it um, and sent me a picture of this new product, um, Yabby TV or something. It was, yeah. I don't know, some new product. Apparently, yabbies were becoming popular as pets and there was this company that had produced this commercial yabby food. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll try him on this commercial yabby food. Maybe he's missing some nutrients in his life. Not thinking about the fact that he'd lived and grown happily for seven years on carrot and celery (laughs) and he'd turned into a nice little um, grown significantly and turned into this beautiful blue yabby who, you know, swam around the, the tank day after day. So I got this commercial yabby food and got the, the kids were in the class following the instructions on um, feeding this yabby food. And they only had this new food for about three days and it was a Friday. So we went away on the Friday knowing that he was normal for him not to get fed over the weekend, come back to school on the the following Monday and one of the kids said, "Uh, something's wrong with Harry, he's not moving. And I was like, (laughs) at that time it was was 9am and the kids were all shuffling inside and we were about to begin our morning circle time greeting and and, um, I said, oh, he's all right, he's just sleeping. And she goes, but he's upside down. <laughs> so, the dread filled me. I'm just, oh, no. <laughs> I walk over to the tank and he is poor, dead, stinky. He was very stinky, Harry. Now, Harry could have been a boy or a girl. I'm, I'm just going with, you know. Um, just gender. gender you just, you didn't lift up his back leg and have a look? no no. anyway so stinky harry was had gone to you know the great yabby land in the sky or whatever you like to say so at that point i had to deal with him so i've got a class full of grade three fours and uh what are we going to do he really stinks so the first thing we did was got a bucket and i fished him out of the fish tank (laughs) and then talked to the kids about well what are we going to do? So we came up with the idea that we'd bury him. There was a little garden bed of um, <laughs> native bushes out the back of our classroom. So we thought we'll go bury him and we'll lay a few flowers and say a few last words and that would be it. So off we go. We go on out. We've got our little spade. One of the kids digs a hole. We put Harry in. I cover him with dirt. Some kids like to lay some flowers on him. Um, we say a few <laughs> words of, you know, it was lovely having you, Harry, and we hope you find peace wherever you go in this world. <laughs> and that was that, and that's how we, you know, we had that discussion of things come and things go and death happens and all of that sort of stuff. So I was actually slightly traumatised by it because I'd had Harry for quite some time and then I felt like a bad, bad carer because 
had changed his food and killed him. So <laughs> I, was, I was having this internal struggle of, oh, my gosh, that's terrible, I'm cruel and all of this sort of stuff. Anyway, so that was that and we went on and, you know, the kids would go out each morning and visit Harry. and Pay their respects. They'd, yeah, they would. They, they really would and they'd sometimes put fresh flowers on it on him and, and all those sorts of things. Anyway, about a week later, one of the kids comes screaming inside, calling my name and she's got her iPad and, and she's, Miss, Miss, Harry's not there anymore. <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? She, and she goes, only his claws are there. <laughs> anyway, sure enough, she'd taken photos on her iPad and it turns out that the resident school crows had dug poor Harry up <laughs> and had a feast on him and left behind his empty claw shells. Mm. So then Yum. we had the discussion, of course, about the circle of life and, you know. It's the how... circle. And the, and the desecration of graves. Yeah. <laughs> life lessons. You know what? If you're a student in my class, it's all about reality and uh, the reality of life. So, yeah, that was a big learning lesson that year of uh, death and mm, some form of resurrection, I suppose you could say. (laughs) I felt I still feel bad that I sent you the picture and found that food for you. (laughs) (laughs) So it was Kate's fault. Well, I thought it was this new miracle food that was probably really good for them. Clearly Mm. it was just a commercial venture that... Yes, I wonder how many dead yabbies in homes have happened after that. I imagine quite a few. Ah, oh, well, thanks for that story, Julie. And uh, now, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> well, I think that about covers everything for today. I've got a feeling that this podcast will be split into two episodes because, wow, <laughs> it has been an epic. <laughs> uh, but... Uh- I was trying to find before where the timer was to show us how long we'd been going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're looking at near, we're nearly an hour and forty minutes. But um, oh really? Yeah, I want to say a huge thank you to Kate Kilkenny, the irrepressible grade one two teacher. She's amazing. Thanks. And to Julie Shear, thanks very much. It's wonderful to have you on board. Um, I'm no, sure. No. I reckon. I got a feeling that we're going to see more of you in future episodes of Teaching for Dummies. <laughs> can I? Can I just ask? Is this? Oh no, it wasn't the same Julie from the story that you told in the last episode, Brett, because that was an anonymous. Oh, yeah. Julie. Yeah. <laughs> I used the word Julie. That was a fake name. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still hurt from that experience. <laughs> But it was fake. Oh, yeah, with that other Julie, that's right. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We hope you've learned something insightful or it might have got your brain ticking about what it means to be a teacher. Um, thanks for joining us again. Make sure you subscribe and spread the word about teaching for dummies. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.